Today's scripture reading is from Philippians 3, 4 through 14. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to his resurrection from the dead. Now that I have obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind you and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're going to have a few guests uh, join me up here. Um, I'd like to invite uh, Connor Glick and Anna King and Corey Kern to come on up. We're going to move some things around here, so be patient. Oops. Would you guys rather stand or sit? Either way. Okay, you want to just stand? Corey, are you strong enough to stand for, for a little while? It could be a really long sermon. So let me just give a bit of an introduction and then we'll move into... Uh, once again, why don't you uh, just say who you are and who your parents are. For some, for some that are watching at home or here, they like to know kind of where to place you, so... Uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Oh, okay, there's another mic there. Uh, and you've got, yeah, you can use that one. Did you grab the white one? Let me, where is it? Oh, okay, all right, good. Yeah, are we all on? Do a sound check. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. All right, so hello, yeah. I'm Corey Kern. I am the son of Sean and Carrie Kern and the grandson of Ron and Arlene Wanger. I'm Connor Glicks. Son of Diana Michaelick, grandson of Carolyn Yoder. I'm Anna King, and I'm daughter of Tony and Marsha King. Okay, so our theme, if you've been watching the outline of the service this through this process, today is, is talking about um, life in Christ is like running a race, which uh, in which his people press on toward victory. Let me just give a little bit of a background, and then we'll, we'll have, uh, have them join in here. Um, Paul ministered at Philippi. Just to give a background to, to not just only the specific verses, but to the, to, to the whole letter to the Philippian church. Paul had ministered to the Philippian church during his second missionary journey. He spent three months with them. And those were three intense months in which he's, 
which he's nurturing and teaching the fundamentals of faith, and he's coaching them and encouraging them. And he brought faith to these people um, during that stay, and, and it was a growing congregation. Among those in the congregation was Lydia. Uh, she was a businesswoman who opened her home to Paul and his co-workers. Uh, that's uh, found in, um, uh, in I, I don't have the reference here. Actually, I was supposed to. Uh, but he also, you remember the story of the Philippian jailer uh, who was converted under Paul's ministry uh, after an earthquake and miraculously broke open the prison doors. Uh, and uh, so you have those stories that come out of this stay, some significant things. Of the four prison epistles, Paul likely wrote this one last, near the very end of his Roman imprisonment. Um, and uh, he sent the three other letters to the Ephesians, Colossians, and also to Philemon. Paul did not write Philippians in light of a crisis. Now, some letters he wrote because the church was having struggles and it was a problem. Uh, but, but this particular letter was not, you don't sense that. That the primary purpose of this letter was his affection for this congregation. And of all of those other churches, this church had contributed more to his ministry financially as well as in other ways providing helpers and workers that came out of that congregational group. Um, so Paul's joy at the mere thought of the Philippian church is undeniable in the letter. The word joy actually appears in various forms 16 times throughout the Philippian letter. So joy is the theme of this, taking joy in the people of faith. Um, and, and so that's a, a significant background. It's that same joy that he wanted all of the recipients to possess as well. Teaching them that a community of believers living in harmony with one another comes through the mutual humility modeled after the Savior. Paul wrote that he poured out his life as an offering for the sake of Christ and that he found great joy and contentment in serving Christ. If we, like Paul, want to experience joy in life, we want others to experience that same joy. That's why we tell stories. That's why we, we compare notes and we encourage and we, we, we share humor and, and we, we let other people know what's happening in our lives. We share things because we want to be together and experience joy together. Uh, and so one of the things that, that uh, if we want our, to experience joy and others to experience joy, we point to the investment in Jesus, which Paul did in this letter. Anything that is worth uh, is of worth comes through an investment. So you wonder, how do you get to the caring enough? Now, I, I brought with me um, one of my professors, David Augsburger, wrote a series of books, actually. Caring Enough to Confront was his most well-known and, and best sold. This one is called Caring Enough to Forgive. There are a couple of others as well. Uh, you know, Caring Enough... And, and the question that it poses is, do we care enough to invest even more? Caring enough to begin again, caring enough to try again when we failed in the past, caring enough to press on, as Paul used that language, caring enough to give all, caring enough to let go of the past, 
to let go of fear and failure, caring enough to let go of the things that really don't matter. Doug gave a great example of, of that uh, this morning when he was telling me about his, some of his flooding. And, and when you've experienced damage to things, and material things, it can be crushing, it can also be freeing to say, maybe we relied on things too much. This gives you an idea that Paul is really saying, look, if you invest in Christ, you will experience joy. And in light of that, uh, we want to just share some reflections this morning and have asked for help to do that. First question that we want to reflect on, in reading this passage, what are the things that we hear Paul saying you need to press on toward? Um, so we can talk about pressing on. We sang about it already, if you caught that in the words of one of the songs this morning. What, what does that, that mean for us? What are the things that you hear Paul saying we need to press toward? Being saved. Like, he was obeying the law, and the law wasn't of God, it was of earthly desires. And in Revelation 21, he talks, they talk about uh, the new heaven and the new earth. And when we all commit ourselves to God, and that he saved us from the grave, when that day comes, we will be the ones that will rise up and be taken to this new heaven and this new earth and live with God. So that's just something I think he's pressing towards, like he's trying to say. Other thoughts? Um, I also noted that he refers to our eternal life, and with our knowledge, um, we should make a life of obedience and determination to live for him. So, so there's an end goal he... He's referring also to the fact that, that we're called heavenward and that there, there is a, an eternal life available to us through Christ. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that one? I mean, I feel like that covers basically everything I would say. I mean, I agree with both of them entirely. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, in terms of, are there more specifics in this passage or are there other passages that you think of that talk about what are the things that we press on toward here on earth while we're here? Are there some other things that we're called to press toward? I didn't find any verses, but I'm talking like the calling that Christ has made for us to spread his word, to spread his godly love and to press, like just showing love to everybody and showing them God's the way if you want to live an eternal life. Yeah, so... so I, this isn't on your script, so I'm going off script here. But why would God gift us? I, I don't know. You know, I in the moment, I'm not going to name anything for all three of you. But for all of us to say, why, why would God give you the gift of uh, uh, of music or, or engineering or, uh, you know, the gift of, of soccer? Why would God give you, uh, uh, you know those particular interests and those specific kinds of, of uniquenesses that are only, only to you? Why would God give you the strange sense of humor you clearly all three have? <laughs> why, why would God give any distinctives to us here on earth? Why do we hold the spiritual gifts that he gives us too? Exactly. Why? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> well... It's so that we can touch different people in different ways. Maybe the gifts I have in spiritual gifts is how I'm supposed to reach the people in the engineering field. 
<laughs> wow, that was, that was pretty good. So you're suggesting, and you others can jump in on this, but you're suggesting that there is a link between the specific purpose that God has for us in life and, the, and those areas of giftedness or interests or, or um, unique things that, that God's given to each of us. Correct. Any other comment on that? I mean, yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, like, I'm not totally gifted in drawing. I'm not terrible, but I'm, I'm, I'm not very good. And it wouldn't make sense because, like, I don't feel called to that for God to put me in something or give me an ability that I don't really love or something like that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I enjoy playing sports, and so God has helped me to be able to work in that field and, like, do that sort of thing. Like, I also enjoy being in ministry, which is why I'm in college to be in ministry. And so he's given me abilities and gifts that help me in that field as well. So, so we may be saying that not all are going to be pastors, preachers, teachers, you know, specifically work for the church. But does that really eliminate any of us from working for the kingdom of God and using our uniquenesses? Yeah. No. Okay, second question. Uh, what are the things, you know, Paul says, I consider it all, everything loss. Now, he uses a little stronger word in the Greek there. You know, he considers it all refuse. He considers all garbage. He considers all of that. Why, why is Paul saying that, um, that he considers that loss? What, and what are those things that he's saying we, like him, should consider as loss? Uh, so in this situation, from my time of being able to study a little bit, uh, Paul specifically talking about those earthly achievements that he's gained. So, I mean, if you go back to basically, if you go from four to six, he's listing all these different things that he has reason to be confident in the flesh. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's <laughs> a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, who is well known. Uh, it doesn't reference it here, but he was a student of, uh, I think I'm going to say the name of Gamaliel, did I say it correctly? Who was a very well known teacher in the Jewish community. So he's saying all these things. If anyone is going to talk about their Jewishness, I have by far more reason than anyone else, even though he's not trying to say that he is better. But he's saying, if we are going to do this, I can do it better than you. Other thoughts? I agree with Corey. They were all earthly things. They weren't of God. Like, he wasn't being fulfilled by God. He was being f fulfilled by earthly things and by the law. Okay. I may come back to that. I'm going to give you a chance to... So interesting, what you're saying is, is Paul saying in comparison to, so and another way to ask it is this, is Paul saying that those things are bad things? No. What, no. It, uh, exp, uh, let's clarify that. Used in the right way, they're not bad. But used in a way that makes yourself superior to others and demeans others, it is bad. 
if it's using to honor God, then yeah, it can be used for good. It's not bad to study the Bible to learn, in their case, the Torah. But using it to make yourself seem better than others is totally wrong. I, I liked, I'm going to go back to, uh, because I think Anna hit on, and I think it's, it's pretty clear, that it's basically in comparison to these things. What is the value of a relationship in which we know Christ? And, and is Paul really saying, not saying these things are necessarily bad, but in comparison... I would give up everything, every degree, every accomplishment. I would give every trophy up completely. I would give up all of my baseball cards, all of my, you know, all of my, my, my high school letter jacket, all of my medals. All, would I give that all up in exchange for just the ability to know Christ? I think that's... That's pretty significant in terms of, of what Paul is talking about, considering a loss compared to, to the other. Uh, third question, why is knowing Christ of surpassing worth? Now, maybe I just touched on that, but your thoughts on that, one, on that particular one. He, you know, surpassing worth is a pretty strong statement saying it far surpasses any, any thoughts on that one? I used Google, so don't. <laughs> well, I wrote... <laughs> shocking. I'm sure that's shocking to all of us. Paul, we all Google. Well, this, this kind of ties into the question, too, a little bit. Paul had a reputation and a status in leadership, right, through the law. And all of this meant nothing to him because it wasn't God-fulfilling. On his way to Damascus, God spoke to Paul through a vision and revealed Christ to him. This vision changed Paul's life, and thereon Paul saw it out to be fulfilled by Christ in everything he did. Uh-huh. So there's a shifting of priorities. Yes. Uh-huh. Other thoughts? Um, I related this more to his personal knowledge, and that he would not trade his personal relationship for anything or anyone, and it was just like his priority. That's, that's excellent. It, it becomes so important. Um, so another way, we're, are, are we saying that he, he cared enough to place all his investment on that one thing? And in light of that, these other things look strangely dim. That's the song. And, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. It, those things are dim and non-comparable in relation to the ability to know Christ. What are we to forget that is behind us? Paul says that in verse uh, verse 13, forgetting what is behind us, what does he mean by that? I mean, my first side is referring to the world of sin which is what is behind. It's what we are a part of and what we need to move from. We're moving away from this world of sin, from, from the brokenness, from the hurt, from the pain, towards having a relationship with Christ, having a relationship with the Lord, and then towards uh, uh, reuniting the bond that was broken between humanity and with the Creator. 
Paul wanted a new life that was found in Christ. So to do so, he had to leave everything that he built up, all that leadership, all that status that he found. He had to leave that behind to start a new life that was devoted to Christ. I think I think that we've all you've all three touched on on the important parts of it, which is one of the things that's difficult for us to do in going forward in life or having a sense of purpose is is both letting go of both the good things. So the qualifications we talked about before, all of those great accolades and degrees and and accomplishments and letting go of that, but also letting go of of the sin and the brokenness. You know, one of the major hurdles that many of us have in going forward is we don't want to we don't want to be bold in any way if we've made mistakes in the past, and so we don't want to be we don't want to have to go back. And we're still living under, even though we know in our heads we've been forgiven, we still feel the burden of the of having disappointed God or broken, you know, God's God's guidance. And, and that's one of the hardest things to let go of is because, because the good things we hold on to because that can tend to define us and be so important to us that we forget God. And the bad things keep us so under shame and guilt. And so, so one of the things that, that we're hearing in this is that Paul wants us to be able to forget the shame and the guilt of sin because Jesus paid the price for it. And that's why knowing Christ is so important is because the only way that we can really be free to live on in faith is to be able to get to that point where we leave this behind. We've put it at the cross and many of us sneak back and pick it up again and still carry the, the, the connotations of being a sinner and broken and having failed. And, and Paul says, you know, joy comes from knowing Christ because Christ is the one that takes away the shame and the guilt when we turn to him and he re- releases us from that to be able to better fulfill his purpose in our lives. Any thoughts in response to that? Okay. Um, another question. What is this thing that Paul calls the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith? What, what is that? Do uh, you have any explanation for what he means by the righteousness? This is in verse 9, if you've got your Bibles open. What is the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith? It's a fulfillment. It's finding that joy in Christ where I don't feel fulfilled by earthly desires. I feel fulfilled by knowing that God has saved me. Uh, I feel like this is a direct, <clears throat> a direct uh, uh, separation between what the Jewish community thought and what he is trying to show them or how it's supposed to be. They thought that by fulfilling the law, they're fulfilling 
the covenant, that is how they have faith, is by fulfilling the law and following it. But Paul is telling them it's not through the law that you have faith. It is through believing in Christ. It's through having faith in him that you gain righteousness. That you, uh, that is how you really, uh, I guess, righteousness, yeah. So, Anna, you want to chime in? Um, I also noted that, like, through Jesus, like, Jesus' character is being expressed through us as well. If, like, his righteousness, if we, like, strive for it and follow him. Say, say that again about the love part. The love part? Yeah, that, uh, just go ahead and say that again. <laughs> um, I I'm, said, is she on? Pass one over to her. You can just pass it back and forth. I wasn't sure. That I, the reason I want to go back is I'm, I wasn't sure. So we'll get her uh, on here. I said that um, through like him living in us, Jesus' character is being expressed through our lives and like through us, through yeah. our actions. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a difference here between the the righteousness that comes of just obeying the law. In other words, if I do all the right things, then I'm righteous. And, and if you've ever lived that way, how many of us have ever successfully felt like we are righteous enough because of the things we've done? But that being said, it also doesn't mean, I think what Anna was basically saying is that, that our, our righteousness is expressed in love and it comes from living into and believing and following Christ. And I, I think that's an important distinction because if we hold to a works righteousness model, we will never be good enough. And all the degrees and all of the positive things are not going to be adequate to make us feel like we are okay, much less that we're really successful or effective. And so we end up just kind of quieting down, knowing we're imperfect and don't speak rather than to speak out of the joy that comes that because Christ made us redeemable, makes us feel at peace and gives us joy, not because of what we've done, but because of what he did for us. So as we move to, toward wrapping this up, how can we apply this to our lives? What, what, what does Paul want us to... To do what are the things that that we can do to apply this for all of us, uh, because we know the scripture wasn't just written for one congregation; it was written for us. So what what can we take from this and apply each day? Prayer and asking God to show the earthly, fleshly desires that we must forget. Ask for him to open our eyes to the desires that are Christ-centered. Um, seeing these desires as earthly and not pleasing to God. And then practice and form new desires and ways of doing things that are pleasing to God. I also noted in verses 15 through 16 how it addresses how it's our responsibility to apply what God has already given us and shown us and that we should practice the knowledge that we do have. And often, like, we can ask, like, God to give us more spiritual, like, guidance. But why should God give us 
more when we are not living up to and applying the biblical knowledge that's given to us already. Excellent. I just noticed that. Yeah. It's very good. Other, other thoughts? Practicality here and, and what we can do. Connor mentioned some of the, the uh, spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer. Anna referred to the verses that follow, and in the, in the uh, worship theme outline, you actually had this extended to verse 21, this whole passage. We shortened it today. But I would just point us to verse 18. He says, For as I have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But then in verse 20, and, and hear this. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In other words, there is a transformation that happens through Christ. Any other final thoughts that you guys have? I mean, I can't disagree with anything that Anna or Connor have said. I mean, I think they're both very, very right. And I think, I think uh, basically what you just read, 18 kind of through 21, is just like, it just kind of tells you, like, what you need to do. You need to, like, there are people out there who aren't for Christ. And so, therefore, like, you have to know that and then, like, know that what their goals are. But then he says, this is what our goals are. We do things that are fulfilling to Christ, are fulfilling, that are pleasing to the Lord. Things that uh, don't fulfill yourself only, that are fulfilling of a higher purpose, that are that are helpful, that aren't self-conceited. I, th I think this is a, an important distinction. Because if, honestly, and if you remember, I do, I remember as a kid, I remember the hellfire and brimstone sermons. Scare you out of hell and into heaven. And sometimes that is the, the, the unfortunate reputation that believers have in this world is you only care about not going to hell. And rather than to talk about the fact that it isn't just the purpose, as Anna mentioned earlier, about, about this eternal destination and eternal life that we have through Christ, but it's also about the mission that while we're here on earth, and that's partly what I, I think Paul is saying is, all I know is I'll be, I'll be glad when I get to heaven, but until then, I am going to give it everything. I'm going to press on. I'm going to do the mission that God's called me to while on earth, to impact other people and to, to make a difference in their lives, not only here on earth to bring joy, but eternally. And so the, the idea that we, we just hunker down and settle in until, uh, until we finally can go to heaven is not what the perspective that Paul's had. 
And Paul certainly lived that way. He lived fully. He kept traveling. He did press on to the very end and push forward for that purpose. And I, I think that's part of what you were saying there is, is that, that it's both and. That we rejoice and in both we can find joy because Christ is with us now and will be eternally. Um, let's give them uh, thanks. I want to just share a couple of closing thoughts. A.W. Tozer encouraged people wanting and having a encouraged people wanting and having a personal revival to be seeking God with all their heart and consider these two points. Get thoroughly dissatisfied with yourself, he said. Complacency is the deadly enemy of spiritual progress. Comes back to saying, do I care enough to want to keep growing? Do I care enough to want Christ to, to work through me in me and outward to other people and have an impact. He says, the contented soul is a stagnant soul. When speaking of earthly goods, Paul could say, I have learned to be content, but when referring to his spiritual life, he testified, I press on toward the goal. So stir up the gift of God that is in thee. That's from Timothy 1.6. We are not in heaven yet, Pray to let God perfect you and refine you through his love and grace. Secondly, he says, set your face like flint toward a sweeping transformation of your life. Timid experimenters, he says, are tagged for failure before they start. They must throw our whole soul, we must throw our whole soul into our desire for God. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful uh, people say, uh, lay hold of it. Um, so we're called to run. He, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 used the illustration of a runner. And, um, and he says in, um, that we are called to, that he, when Paul concludes this passage um, and, and is referring to to the things that he uh, wants to see happen. He says, I just want to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings, to become like him in his death and attain to the resurrection of the dead. And so that's that process constantly of transformation. Over 2,000 years ago, there was a Greek artist by the name of Timanthes. He studied under a respected tutor. After several years, the teacher's efforts seemed to have paid off when Timanthes painted an exquisite piece of art. Phenomenal. Unfortunately, he became so enthralled with his own painting that he spent days gazing at it. One morning when he arrived to admire his work yet again, he was shocked to find it had been blotted out with paint He was angry, and he ran to his teacher, who immediately admitted that he had destroyed the painting. He said to him, I did it for your own good. That painting was, 
was uh, stopping your progress, keeping you from progressing. He said, start again and see if you can do it better. Timanthes took his teacher's advice and produced another painting, which to this day is regarded as one of the finest paintings of antiquity. When Paul said, forgetting what is behind, even the moments of time that just recently passed, it is important an important part of understanding what hope is all about. Hope is about what is to come, not what has been. The Apostle Paul understood it well, and he pointed us and still points us to this day to that constant transformation of growing in our likeness with Christ and knowing Christ. And so may we hear the message of Paul today calling us to press on toward the goal of Christ and to take hold of the things for which Christ took hold of us, which is the hope of transformation, the hope of salvation, and the joy that he intends for all of us to be able to claim. We'll invite the team up to come and lead us in a song that again reminds us to press on. <laughs>